you've got to be careful of who your beneficiaries are. If your beneficiaries are tax dependents, then no problem at all having life insurance inside super because the proceeds will come out to that beneficiary tax-free on the way out. If you've got non-tax dependents, you may want to reconsider holding life insurance inside super because there are tax implications on the way out to those beneficiaries. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 178 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. Over the next three episodes, we will talk about personal insurance, life, TPD, income protection and trauma slash critical illness and also two business related insurances. What do they cover? And even more importantly, what don't they cover? Are the premiums tax deductible and how are benefit payments taxed? These are the questions I asked Daniel Mikel of Partners Wealth Group in Sydney. So today, let's start with life insurance. I think life insurance is the easiest. Yeah. Because you're either dead or you're alive. Correct. Correct. It really is a cat. Well, or you can be terminally ill. Oh, so life insurance does cover terminal illness. Correct. Yes, if you're diagnosed as terminally ill and you've got, uh, depending on the insurer, but generally it's you know 12 or 24 months to live, then that can trigger a payout of the, of the death benefit. And then if you live longer? Yeah, generally the doctors are on the money. The doctor's got to basically sign off, if you like, uh, to say that this person is going to be, is terminally ill and is unlikely to live longer than 12, 24 months. And that would be sufficient for a payout of the life insurance benefit. Yes. Yeah. And life insurance, is that always just agreed value or is it linked to earnings? No, no. So it's basically, it's definitely not linked to earnings. So basically we, we work through with the client in terms of what they need. And generally speaking, there's two main components to the life insurance benefit. One is repayment of debt usually. And secondly, uh, re- replacement of some income back to the family or back to the spouse for a period of time. So we calculate what lump sum they need to deliver on what the the household needs post-death. So it's definitely not linked to earnings as such. It really is a function of what the individual needs and what the family needs in the event of that person's death. But you can basically pick any number within reason and then your premiums are adjusted Correct. accordingly. Yeah. What we try to do is provide advice to our clients around what we think they need and try and engineer the sum insured, rather than just picking a figure out and going, right, we need a million dollars. Well, how did you work that out? Let's try and put some some basis behind the number so that if something does happen, you've got a clear strategy around what you're funding and for how long. Good. So life is always just about an agreed value. So that yes. makes it reasonably easy to understand. Yeah, pretty much. You're insured for X amount on death or terminal illness of the, 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 the insured. The benefits paid out? There's just one factor that can confuse, and I think that's a step up. And I think that is what happens to the premiums as you age. I think either the agreed value goes down and you keep your premiums or yeah. you keep your agreed value and the premiums go up. Yep. So so with an industry fund, you've typically got what's called unitized cover. Okay. So they give you X amount of cover at the start, 
And so long as you, if, so if you maintain that cover, what will happen is the level of cover will gradually decline as you get older. So your premiums stay constant? The premium stays the same, but the level of cover that that premium buys you reduces. Less and less. Correct. It, there's just a standard value per unit per Correct. age. Correct. For anybody. Correct. And and that, it doesn't matter so much how healthy or unhealthy no, you are. They've given it to you, you know, relatively low cost, um, but it is unitized. So that means that the level of cover is reducing as you get older. With retail, basically you take out the level of cover. Every year that level of cover will get indexed by a certain percentage every year. Now you can decline to, you can say to the insurer, well, I don't want the indexation and just maintain the original level of cover that you took out. Uh, but the premium will increase each year as you get older. And that's what we call a stepped premium. If you choose index cover, mm. the premium will increase for two reasons. A, to cover CPI, yes. inflation, yes. but also B, to take into account that you age. Yes. So so premium goes up, one, due to age, because you're getting older, you represent more of a risk to the insurer and therefore they price that accordingly. Two, CPI, and the third increase is in relation to that increase in the cover, right? Because you, you indexed your cover. Because you've indexed. It automatically gets indexed unless you tell the insurance company otherwise. So that increased portion, you're taking out, you're naturally taking out more cover and therefore the premium has got to reflect that. But the more cover is just to cover inflation. Yes, but your debts don't go up with inflation. So you might have your you can have your cover split so that part of your death cover is designed to cover debt. Don't have that on an inf on an inflation indexation because your debts don't go up with inflation. And then income needs, replacement of income needs, you can have that going up with inflation because you want that to keep up with inflation, and it's appropriate for that to happen. So you can actually split the benefit two ways to have part of your benefit for that purpose and the other part for, for another purpose. Pre-existing conditions, mm. as long as you didn't know them at the time you took the policy out, then they are not pre-existing conditions. So let's say you had diabetes, but you didn't know. As no, long that, as you didn't know, then you're still covered for diabetes. No, that's not correct. Something as significant as that, surely you would have to know about it. So you can't just say, I didn't know about it, because ultimately they're going to go through your medical record and see that it's there and see that it's pre-existing and therefore it wouldn't be covered. Yes, but if you really didn't know about it, let's say it was still very mild, something that was still very mild. Let's say you didn't know yet that you were going to develop a serious illness in the next three months or something. Mm -hmm. If you didn't know about it yet, you hadn't seen a doctor yet, then it's covered. If you genuinely didn't know about it and it's, and it's not on your medical record, that's fine. But if it's on your medical record yes. and you forgot to disclose it, Uh, then you've got a problem. Yes. Yeah. And does it void the entire contract or does it just mean that it doesn't cover you for that disease? No. So basically what they'll do at the time of claim, once they identify that you haven't disclosed something, they'll basically go back and re-underwrite your contract, right? So now that they've got that information, let's say it's diabetes, now that we know that, what terms would we have issued at the time um, you apply for the cover? Now, if that was a you know some sort of exclusion or loading or whatever it is, They would basically put that on the contract, right, at the time of claim and then process the claim. So if there was an exclusion in this case, they wouldn't pay the benefit 
assuming you're claiming for that particular uh, event. If there was a loading of some sort, then potentially there, there would be a catch-up of premiums that you'd have to pay before they're prepared to, or they'll take it off the, the prices of the claim to reflect that they've missed out on X dollars in premium. This is a very tricky question mm. because I'm worried that if we discuss it, that it might get somebody who is not well already thinking in the wrong direction. Yes. So I don't know yet whether it's a good question to ask, but does life insurance cover suicide? When you take out a new contract, new life insurance policy, a suicide is not covered for the first 13 months of the, of the policy. After that, you are covered. Right? It's to prevent people, unfortunately, yes. taking out the policy, obviously. They're not well. They're not well and they go mm. and do something to themselves and then obviously mm. the, the insurance company, then thinking that the insurance company will pay them out of benefit. Uh, that's not the case. So there's always that 13-month exclusion period, if you like. Mm. And uh, is that by law or is it? No, it's contract. I it's, see. It's all so in the contract. So it could vary from insurer to insurer. All insurers that I come across on a mm. day-to-day basis all have a 13-month clause. I see, but not more. Not because more. I think 13 no. months is quite no. Unless, professional. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Unless there's special terms that are offered as part of the overall insurance offer, the underwriter might want to extend that or uh, I haven't seen that, to be honest, but it can be subject to change depending on the client's medical circumstances. There is a rumour I've heard that large industry and employer funds often offer better policies than the retail funds because they don't have to make a profit, because they have huge buying power. Mm. Is that true in some instances? Um, look, I haven't seen it, to be honest. So industry funds, they are very basic products, very basic. How are they basic when it comes to life insurance because I think with life insurance there's an agreed value yep. you're either dead or alive yeah how can it be well, less basic it, or more basic when it comes to death cover I agree there are not many differences with with death cover because it's pretty straightforward you pass away you get a death certificate you get paid very simple when you get into TPD that's when you start to get some some differences When you look at possible insurance solutions for your clients, yep. do you look at industry and government funds? But do you even have access to their premiums? Can you even contact them and tell me? So what we're, what we're required to do to satisfy our best interest duty, that is, you know, acting in the best interest of our clients, is if a client has an industry fund, we will always consider that as an option. Okay, we just don't automatically rule it out. Okay. So we first, we work at what level of cover they need. Secondly, we look at the existing covers that they have. If that involves um, them having some industry fund um, cover, we look at that. We then contact the, that, that provider and arrange for some pricing on the level of cover they need and compare that to retail from a pricing perspective. And then we start to look at features and benefits. Do they meet the needs of the client? If they do, and assuming the industry fund is cheaper, then it's in the best interest of the client to maintain that cover and increase the benefit to, to what they need or decrease the benefit to what they need. Um, if it doesn't meet the client's needs for whatever reason, 
And then there's a justification to, you know, potentially look at using a retail product over an industry fund product. And you get commissions from the retail product. Correct. Do you also get commission from a government or employer No, fund? we don't. No. No. So you have the obligation to act in the client's best interest, but of course yep. a retail fund would give you a lot more income for the service you provide. Well, yes and no. Um, yes, in respect that obviously we, we get paid from the insurance product. Now, if we determine that the retail, the industry fund is in the client's best interest, then we'll go back to the client and say, look, it's in your best interest to, to stay with your uh, current industry fund. If you would like us to provide the advice around this and implement this for you, there'll be a, a fee for service that we'll need to charge mm. you. So because, like a fixed fee. Correct, because we're not getting remunerated from other sources and therefore, if, yes, if you want us to, to engage in that process, then there's a fixed fee involved to do that. So that just ensures that we're always acting in the best interest of the client, whether we get paid from the insurer or whether we get paid from the client, to us makes no no real difference. Mm. And then it'll be obviously up to the client as to whether they want to pay the fixed fee and, and move forward with advice around that. But based on your experience so far, industry and government funds don't always have better premiums. It is a case by case. It mm. really is a case by case because I've seen some of them can be really sharp on the death and disability cover. Sharp uh, as, in as in good? Really good on pricing, mm. yeah. But again, pricing is not everything. Um, mm. If cost is the focus and the only focus, then industry funds can be more cost-effective. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But when it comes to features and benefits, that's where industry funds, I guess, are not as good as retail. Yeah. So if it's retail funds, you can, when we go to the other products, you might get a lot more different variations. Correct. Yeah. As I said, with death cover, it's very vanilla, very, you know, straightforward. Where you get major variations is with the TPD and the income protection are the, are the major differences. Does it often turn out that the best solution for a client is to have life in an industry or a government fund, but then to have TPD, income protection and trauma with a retail fund? Or is it better not to split? And well, to so I, generally from a cost perspective, it's generally better to link the life and TPD benefit because if you have them as two standalone benefits, the cost is often higher. And why life and TPD? Because I would think... You either get life or you get TPD. You never get both because for TPD, you need to be alive. And for life, you need to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, life well, I mean, covers could... also terminal illness. Let me ask differently. Yeah. Why is life and TPD often linked? Why are they linked? I suppose the reason they're linked is because um, I suppose the benefit of linking is cost reduction. And you get one either benefit. You don't get both benefits. Right? So if you become TPD, the full TPD benefit's paid out and it automatically cancels the life benefit. Now, you can elect when you take out the policy for that to retain the life cover so that you've got that benefit there subsequent to the TPD payout. Oh, I see. So often policies have a clause that when you get TPD, yep. you no longer get life. So if you're disabled due to an accident, you yep. get TPD. You get paid out the TPD. For but if you then subsequently die due to the aftermath of the accident, yep. then you no longer get the life if that's what your contract If, it, if it's says. linked. If it's yeah. linked. If it's linked but you have what's called a reinstatement option, then that allows you to basically full payout on the TPD and the life cover remains intact. I see. And what do contracts usually say? They usually link Well, it's it. an option that you can elect when you take out the policy 
to have the life cover remain posted full TPD claim. And obviously pay a little bit more for that because you think about it, if you go through a TPD payout, pays out, if you don't have that reinstatement option, then you'll be forced to go through the underwriting process again to get life cover. Yeah, and then of course and, you wouldn't. And, and you wouldn't have any chance in the world of, of getting cover again. Um, so that's why they have that feature there. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you, the purpose of your cover is to pay off debt in the event of death or TPD, or arguably you probably get away with linking. Once you've paid out, you've used that to pay off your debt, why do you need another payment in addition to that in the event of death? There might be circumstances where that might be appropriate, where you do have the additional death benefit down the track. But again, you just got to look at what is the purpose of the cover and whether the reinstatement is required or not. Is it possible to say that most of your clients or most of the contracts you see do link yes. life and TPD? Yes. Most yes. of them it's link common. it? Yes, yes. Yeah, the only time we wouldn't link is when the client needs two separate benefits. So if we're covering a million dollars worth of debt and we, we need to pay off the debt, but we also need something else in the event of death. So therefore, we wouldn't link it, we'd separate the benefits out so they're standalone, so that therefore claim on one would not affect the benefit of the other. For life insurance, you mm-hmm. don't get a tax deduction outside of super, but you get a tax deduction within super yes. while you're in accumulation, of course. Yes. Once you're in pension, of course, everything is zero yeah, anyway. Correct. Exactly. Yes. But while you're in accumulation, you get a tax deduction on life. Yes. That would mean it's actually better to put the life insurance into super. But then when we come to the benefit payment, mm. that is when the chicken that, might come to roost. That's right. You've got to be careful of who your beneficiaries are. If your beneficiaries are tax dependents, then no problem at all having life insurance inside super because the proceeds will come out to that beneficiary tax-free on the way out. If you've got non-tax dependents, then you like need... Like children over 25? Correct. Yep. Children over 25 is it. And no spouse? And no spouse, correct. So you've always got to look at who are the benefits going to. Are they dependent? Great. If they're not, then you may want to reconsider holding life insurance inside super because there are tax implications on the way out to those beneficiaries. Can you move a contract out of super, meaning you set the policy up within the super fund while the children were little. Now the children are all over 25. Yep. Your spouse has passed away, meaning you have no tax dependents anymore. Yep. Can you now move the contract out of super without having to underwrite it again? Because now, of course, that you have aged and you have pre-existing conditions, you wouldn't get the same policy again. Can you move it? Yes, you can. It will depend on the insurer as to whether they apply limited underwriting. Because if you're going from an old product series into a new product series there's potentially limited underwriting that might apply. Okay, so you're not going to go through the full, you know, questionnaire top to bottom. But they might tweak they might, the edges they might, they might ask a few questions around your health. your health situation. Some insurers are happy to move it from super to non-super. No questions asked. It's just a transfer of ownership form. No problem at all. Um, but, yeah, as I said, it really just does depend on the insurer that you're dealing with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so I think that's an important factor to look out for because it's really difficult to take out a new policy when you're older. So it's 
important Definitely. to sort this out beforehand. Otherwise, it might be safer to just have the policy outside of super. I mean, look, as a tra- tra- transferring the, the policy from super to non-super, generally speaking, it's not an issue and it can be done. I suppose the consideration there, well, the only thing one needs to be mindful of is that some insurers, not all of them, some of them, will require some limited underwriting. And I do say limited to move that policy across. And particularly if there's been a change in the product series, because if there are better benefits and features on the new product series, then they need to underwrite. There's this limited underwriting that might apply because they're getting more features and benefits than they were previously under the old contract. And therefore, that's why the underwriters would want to ask a few more questions because ultimately the insurer is taking a little bit more risk because they're providing more features and benefits. Generally with life cover, there's... Okay, generally not, it's not difficult to move. No, not at all, not at all. If the policy is held within super and the total superannuation balance is already over 1.6 million, you know mm-hmm. when the total superannuation balance is over 1.6 million, you can't make any non-concessional contributions anymore. Correct. yeah. But if now the um, member dies and the life insurance kicks in and pays a benefit to the fund, mm-hmm. what happens now? Well, on death, you've basically got two options. You've got to cash out the benefit or you commence a death benefit pension. So before you can cash it out or before you can start a death benefit pension, it needs to get it into to the go SMSF. In. So there's nothing that stops you having more than $1.6 million in the super fund. Yes, but you can't make any non-concessional contributions anymore. But I guess the life insurance payment doesn't count as a non-concessional no. contribution. So it doesn't no. fall under this $1.6 million TSB gap. No, and, and, and that would be the TSB of the uh, deceased in this case, right? And therefore, it becomes irrelevant post-death because ultimately something needs to happen. One, the benefit needs to come out, paid out to the beneficiary, or you can start a death benefit pension using their overall balance. Now, you can't have more than $1.6 million in a death benefit pension, and therefore any excess beyond that would need to come out. Okay, but so there's no problem getting no. the entire life insurance payment into the super fund. Then there's just, when it's paid out, there's the question of whether it's a tax dependent or not to see whether that payment that's, that's then exactly the tax. Right. Yeah. When the payment is paid into super, does it yeah. go into the taxable component, untaxed element, meaning non-dependents are taxed at 30%? Look, there's a complicated formula that they apply. It's not as straightforward as that. But look, broadly speaking, part of that benefit will be taxed and it really just does, it depends on a number of factors within the formula itself. Does the life insurance company actually calculate the tax on it? When does it get taxed? Does it get taxed when the SMSF pays it out to the I, um, I believe it gets taxed in the, in the individual's hands. I that, see. That's my understanding, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Mm-hmm. But basically, there's a formula that's applied. Now, we're talking about death, aren't we? Yes. But I think if it's in the untaxed element, mm-hmm. it's just a straight 30% when it's paid to a non-dependent. Well, you've got to work out. So it's, it's calculating what that untaxed element is, and there's a formula to determine that. And then whatever... Isn't uh, the full insurance payment untaxed element? No, no. Oh, I see. Well, so, it, so what it is, it gets lumped in with your total superannuation benefits and then you look at the entire superannuation lump sum and then there's a formula that says basically service date, which is your eligible service date, divided by your, your same thing plus your days to retirement, okay? And that determines how much of that overall benefit would be considered to be an untaxed element 
and then the 30% tax would apply on that component. There's a range of calculators that we've got access to. We just punch in all the yeah. numbers. We work out their, get their eligible service date, which is when typically when they join the fund, what are their dates to retirement. So we work out date of death, date to retirement, and then it spits out a result to determine what is the untaxed element, and that's where the 30% will apply. So it's not necessarily entire- from one on the life insurance benefit that the 30% will apply. Oh, I see. That's yeah. It's good to know because yeah, look, I, so I always assumed the entire no, look, amount is untaxed and correct. hits, hits so, the so 30%. The older you are... The higher the, the untaxed element? No, the lower the, the untaxed element. Oh, okay. Okay. The younger you are, the higher the untaxed element, therefore higher the tax. So what a lot of people forget to do is when they're... Uh, I know we're talking about death. Again, holding death cover when you've got non-tax... I mean, this is only relevant if you've got non-tax dependents. Holding death cover in a super fund when you've got non only yeah when you only have non tax dependents yeah, would be a silly strategy to begin with anyway yeah. um, because ultimately you just you're just setting yourself up for some tax so then you know one needs to look at okay well is this appropriately structured should we be moving this into personal ownership where if it gets paid to non tax dependent well it's not an issue where and we'll get into this in a sec with with the TPD you know most people hold TPD in their super fund because it's more tax effective to do it. But again, one needs to consider or gross up the benefit for provision for tax uh, that ultimately might apply on the payout of that benefit. But so action point for life insurance is Mm. review who the beneficiaries are. If there are no dependent beneficiaries, move the life insurance out of super into individual hands because then there is no tax. No tax. No matter who the benefit then goes to. Exactly. Yep, yep. It bypasses the whole superannuation rules um, and therefore there's no untaxed elements or taxed elements or any of the sort um, and therefore no tax. Given that life and TPD are often linked, Mm -hmm. that makes it a lot more difficult to say whether the policy should be inside of super or outside of super because I think when you just look at life, well, there are basically two arguments and they they contradict each other. One argument is put it into super because then you can claim the premiums as a tax deduction. Correct. And then the other argument is leave it out of super because then you never have a tax issue with benefit payments. Yeah. And yep. those two probably need well, that's to be right. weighed up. Well, need to be weighed up, definitely. And, and, every, and every case is, is, is really on a case-by-case basis to determine what you should do. But the first thing I look at is who are the benefits going to? Uh, and if it is a, a non-tax dependent, uh, nine times out of ten, I will generally recommend putting it into personal ownership just to avoid all those tax implications. something off topic. Mm. Did you know that 40, 50 years ago, they sold life insurances everywhere? You could go to the airport and they would sell life insurances before they got on the plane and people would buy life insurance before they boarded the plane because they were not 100% sure whether the plane would uh, arrive. (laughs) Is that right? Mm. (laughs) There you go, how things have changed. There was a mysterious crash of a Canadian airline. Somebody had planted a bomb and they didn't know who it was and there were three passengers on the plane who had just bought life insurance at the airport. And so, of course, then there was a suspicion that one of them... Is that right? but they, you know, they never worked it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was interesting how you used to be able to just buy 
life insurance is like that. Basically, at Seven Eleven. Wow. Yeah. There you go. And now you've got to go through the full advice process to get life insurance. Yeah, and you have yeah. to have a statement of That's advice right. and That's everything. Right. Welcome back. So if your children are under 25 and still financially dependent on you, or if you have a spouse, then you have a choice of whether to hold life insurance inside or outside of super. But if your children are all over 25 and financially independent and you no longer have a spouse, then it makes a lot of sense to hold life insurance outside of super. But then again, if your children are all financially independent and your spouse is no longer around, you probably don't need life insurance in the first place. In the next episode, episode 179, Daniel Mikkel will talk about TPD insurance, total permanent disability. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <music>